Well, let's enjoy God's Word together, and and, uh, to do that, church family, I'm going to invite you to take your Bible or your phone or iPad or whatever you're packing today, and let's head for the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, which follows what book? Oh, 1 Corinthians, all right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you would, and if you need a Bible, just let us know that, raise your hand, and, and Charlie would be glad to put a Bible in your hands. And there's a note page in your bulletin. If you wouldn't mind retrieving that, that would be great too. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 14, church family. I'm going to put this up on the screen for us as well. And it reads like this, from the pen of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. For the love of Christ controls us, or maybe your version says compels us, because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal Through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we'll stop right there. Verse 17 again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Would you join me as I pray and commit God's word to him? And Heavenly Father, these incredible words, verse 17 especially, tell us of a transformation that occurs in the life of one who falls at the feet of Jesus' cross in humble repentance, brokenness over sin, And in simple faith says, Jesus, you died my death so that I could have your life. A new creation is wrought. Heavenly Father, show us what that means today. If you would be so, if you'd be pleased, Lord, just to let me be your mouthpiece. So that your people would grasp some of these rich truths that are woven into these words that you have given to us. I would be honored to simply be that a mouthpiece for you. Bring this passage to life for us that we might live more effectively for you. We give you all the glory in Jesus' great name. Amen and amen. Transformation. It's one of those special words in our language. Webster's Dictionary defines transformation this way, as a change in the composition, structure, appearance, character, or condition of something. 
a change occurs in something. And we call that transformation. Someone or something was one way, but then they are transformed and now they are different. They're not the same. They have changed. Let me show you a few examples of transformation. And before this first picture comes up, I just want to warn you about this particular picture. It's, it's a bit on the graphic side. So I'm, I'm letting you know that so it doesn't just kind of boom, catch you off guard. So, Linda, would you put this picture up for us? All right. This is Asiya Engiz. She's a 41-year-old woman who was, as an infant, rescued from a house fire. And so here she is at age 41. This is how she has lived her entire life, looking like this. But there were very gifted surgeons who came to her aid, and this is her today. What would you call that? I would call that transformation, (laughs) too. And how about this, guys? You guys who like uh, restoring vehicles? Well, how about this? Look at that old Chevy sitting in in a field somewhere rusting away. Is that its end? No, somebody transformed that truck into something new and beautiful again. Yeah? Or how about this next picture? This dilapidated old house. I took this right off of the the website for uh, Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanne. This was their all-time greatest, according to them, their greatest feat. Because here's what they did. They took that and turned it into that. (laughs) What would you call that? I think I might call that transformation. (laughs) A miracle. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And then for all of our uh, pet lovers, especially dog lovers, how about this next one? Oh, there we go. And then the next, yeah, what a, what a transformation, huh? <laughs> now, of course, the common thread that, that unites all of these images is that a transformation has taken place of one kind or another. Some one and some things were one way, but then they were transformed, and now they are very different. They have, they have changed. Church family, our God is in the business of transformation. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 is about as clear a declaration of that truth as we will ever find. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what, church? He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Transformation. It's amazing to look at these before and and after pictures and see the incredible change that has taken place. But it's even more amazing how God can take a spiritual life enslaved to sin, dead in transgression and sin, says Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and God can take that life and that has been ravaged by sinful choices, has been cut off from God, is destined to spend eternity in hell, separated from God, and God can change that person into a new, different, joy-filled, purposeful, heaven-bound child of God. 
And not just a reworked expression of something old, but a brand new creation. Our God is in the business of transformation. And it's that truth that God is all about that that lies at the heart of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now, as the Apostle Paul writes the Christians in the first century church at Corinth, what is it that actually prompts him to write this statement? We could say, well, it's the Holy Spirit, and that is true. The Holy Spirit prompted him to do that. But what is the context into which Paul drops this amazing 17th verse? What is he talking about? We're, we're always, as, a, as, as good students of the word, trying to be aware of context, not just yanking something out and making it suit our purposes. What does this verse, what is it set into? Well, if we go back to verse 11, we notice that Paul is talking to this church family about what motivates him and those with him to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ brings change and transformation and salvation. Paul tells his readers what's behind his tireless passion to share the truth of Jesus with others who don't know him yet. And so in verse 14, Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all died. Every person apart from faith in Jesus Christ is spiritually dead and needs a Savior. And and Paul says, The love of Jesus for us compels me to share that good news. Verse 15 And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In other words, Paul says, listen, Jesus died for me because he loved me. And knowing that that is true in my life, that compels me to want to love him back and to live for him and to to tell others about Jesus. It's the least I can do, Paul would be saying, in response to what Jesus has done for me. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Paul says, I don't look at people like I used to look at people, strictly from an earthbound, time-bound point of view. Now every person, Paul says, that I see, I see from an eternal perspective. They are either destined to spend eternity with God in heaven through faith in Jesus, or they are destined to spend eternity separated from God in hell because of no faith and and disbelief. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, from a worldly point of view, we regard him that way no longer, Paul says. I confess there was a time, Paul says, when I... When I didn't recognize who Jesus really was, I thought he was just a man. And in fact, I thought he was actually a false Messiah. I hated him. But not anymore. He really is God's son and he's the sinner's only hope. He's the sinner's only savior. I see him very differently. Therefore, verse 17, for this reason, because this is true, if anyone, anyone, is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We call that what? Transformation. Transformation. The Holy God of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit of God are in the business of transformation. Church family, verse 17 is God's personal promise. I would submit to you his personal promise of assurance, his own personal invitation to every sinner that just because you have been one way your entire life, destined for an eternity without God because of the sin that you were born with, it doesn't have to stay that way. That can change. Therefore, if, what's the next word? Anyone. What does anyone mean? Everybody, right? Everybody, no exclusions. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We have two great truths here in this verse, in the two expressions, in Christ and new creation. Let's take those two apart just a little bit together. First, what does the phrase in Christ mean? It's one of Paul's favorite expressions to, to speak about a Christian, a true, a, a true, authentic, real-life follower of the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. He loves to use that expression, in Christ. It refers to any sinner, any sinner who in simple childlike faith has abandoned themselves to Jesus, a sinner who trusts in him alone as the Savior of their life. To be in Christ means we've renounced any thought that you can earn your salvation by being a good person or by doing lots of good deeds. Somehow you will merit God's favor if you do enough of the good stuff. The one who is in Christ has renounced that thought. I loved when Christian was in the water of baptism this morning and he bore testimony and he said, I I, I came to this place in the last couple of years where I realized that works don't save. Only Jesus saves. That's what he was saying. That's what it means to be in Christ. Not trusting in yourself anymore, but only in Jesus. God in the flesh, he paid my sin debt. He paid it in full. I can't add to it. I cannot improve upon it. I can't make it better. He did it all in Christ. So one who is in Christ clings with this almost a white-knuckle kind of a faith to the cross of Jesus. He's like this this life ring to someone who is drowning. You wouldn't let go of that life ring. That's what it means to be in Christ. So I would ask you, does that describe you this morning? Is that you? Are you in Christ today? You see, every Christian's story is essentially the same. On your note page, every true Christian who is in Christ right now was without Jesus once. Yes? That's part of your story, right? Certainly part of my story. I was without Jesus once. But by God's grace and simple faith in Christ, now I am in Christ. So I was without Christ once, but now I am in Christ. And because that is true, either at death or when Jesus comes back, which we 
We hope and pray he does very soon, right? We will be, we'll be with him. That's our story, isn't it? If we're in Christ, we were without Jesus once, we're in Jesus now, and we will be with him soon. Are you glad you're in Jesus today? <laughs> Praise God. And then the Holy Spirit adds in verse 17 that if this is our story, we are in Christ, then we are each one of us the transformed work of God. We are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. We're not just reformed. We're not just refurbished. We're not just rehabilitated. That word new in verse 17 here, it means of a new kind, unprecedented, unheard of before, brand new, didn't exist before, now it exists. Not a makeover of something old, but something that didn't exist before. There's been a true transformation into something brand new. If you flip your note page over, here's what that transformation includes. It would include more than what we put down here on your page for you, but at least in part, here's what is true. We are transformed. We are made new legally. What do we mean by that? Well, when we trust Jesus and we are in him, holy God, the righteous judge of heaven, makes a pronouncement in heaven, a legal declaration according to Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 24, which is there on your note page. And that declaration is this. Sinner, you are justified before me. That's the legal declaration. And that is such a great truth. Oh, we could take a whole morning and just talk about what that means, but we don't have time. But to be justified simply means to be declared by God not guilty in the court of heaven. Jesus takes our sin and guilt, assumes it as though it were his, and he gives us his sinless righteousness to be applied to our life. God looks at you who are in Christ, and who does he see? He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your guilt anymore. He sees the blood of his son covering the sin in your life. He sees Jesus. And if we doubt that for even a moment, just look at verse 21 of chapter 5. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What do we call that? That's transformation, justified, transformed. Not only that, though, we are new relationally. Before we were in Christ, we were, figuratively speaking, every one of us spiritual orphans, lost, forsaken, hopeless, taken in by Satan himself. But... Part of being in Christ, part of being a new creation is that we get a new family, don't we? We get a new family. We get God as our father. We get Christ as our brother. If you doubt that, Romans 8, 16 and 17 says that. It's there on your page. When we trust Jesus, we don't just get a bunk house, a bunk in the, in the servant's quarters of the master's vast estate. We get a room in his mansion, don't we? Jesus says that. 
He says that, John 14. We get the main house. We get heaven and everything that goes with it because we are heirs with Christ and children of God. We're new relationally. We'll never be the same. And not only are we a part of God's house, we through faith in Jesus step into this family that we call the church, right? That's new. That's new for us. There are all these new relationships that that we step into because we share a common love for Jesus. New relationally. Check out Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of what? Members of one another. Part of a, part of a, of a new family. Do you, ever, do you ever think about that? This is your family because you're in Christ. And thirdly, there on your page, we're made for a new purpose. When we make that decision to give ourselves wholeheartedly to Jesus and he does this transforming work in us, we become ambassadors, his messengers, his mouthpieces. We're entrusted, if you can believe this, I I never cease to marvel at this. We are entrusted by him with the message that a sinner can be reconciled to God. Suddenly our lives have a whole new motivation and a whole, a, a much larger purpose for being, right? We get to proclaim this God who transforms lives to people who don't know what that means yet. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you read that? He gave that responsibility to us, a new purpose, that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You've been entrusted with that message. I have been entrusted with that message. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through who? Through us. Through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we are new legally, we're new relationally, and we have a new purpose for living. An amazing transformation. And God has been doing this, brothers and sisters. He's been doing this from the the moment that Jesus broke out of that tomb on the first Easter morning, right? He's been transforming lives. He's transformed your life. Everything that we have considered up to this moment is true, isn't it? Is it true? Is it true? Yes. Yes, it is true. But sometimes the power of a truth in this case, that Jesus transforms lives can be be made undeniably true when it is joined to someone's real life journey that we know. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to step out of this text. We're going to step into somebody's life. And we're going to talk about transformation. I'm going to invite Ronnie Dravenstaff, our good friend, to join me up here on the platform. 
Well, it is, it is a joy, truly a joy for me to be able to sit here with Ronnie in front of you today because this, this is transformation right here. And if you're a part of our church family and you have been for a while, you know how true this is. Some of you, though, don't really know Ronnie and you don't know his story. And we'd like to let you get to know Ronnie a little bit. So, Ronnie, I'm just going to ask you, if you wouldn't mind, uh, kind of give us a flyover of the journey. We don't need every detail, but we'd love to start when you were in your home as a, a, a boy and just kind of in those broad brush strokes, just tell us the journey up till now, how it's gone for you. Yeah. Good morning, IBC. Um, as a young man, I was raised up in a godly home, taught all about Christ and the things that that meant. I was always in church all the time. I had some godly folks, great people. And uh, as I got older, I started veering off and seeing things of the world that were seemed to be attractive to me. And I uh, started getting into drugs and some addictions that are tough to explain sometimes that they happen. And then uh, I met Sonia. And that kind of grounded me a little bit. And I uh, started getting good again. And I started looking to the Lord. And uh, things were going good. Had a family of your own that you began? Where were you? We were in La Havre, in Orange County. You were in Orange County? Okay. Had our home, living the dream. But yet, uh, drugs and gambling and all the things of the world sucked me in. It seemed to seem that uh, I was more fun than serving the Lord. So I went down that trail like a bonehead and uh, lost everything, slowly but surely. Lost the toys, lost the house, almost lost my wife that time, but she stuck with me. And we ended up up here in Idaho, back at mom and dad's house again. So you came up and lived with your parents? Right. Okay. And living with them kind of grounded me again because I was surrounded by the teaching of God's love and but uh, we, we came to IBC and still, you know, kept thinking, um, I can do this. I, I can act like I'm a Christian and this will be all right. This will work out fine. And then as time went on, um, the things that happened in Orange County also happened here on the hill. And they happen anywhere you're going to go. So I started uh, falling into that same sin again. And over time... Drugs and Drugs, gambling, gambling and all oh, this bad sins. Um, we don't like you said earlier, we don't have time for all that. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, not where we want to hang out anyhow. Where we want to hang out. But uh, just about lost it again. Um, Jim and Bob came and approached me at a life group one night and said, Ronnie, what are you doing? You're messing up. And I just looked at them and I said, I don't want to hear this from you guys. I got this. I know what I'm doing. How dare you come over here and tell me these things? A month later, I realized everything they had said, I was, I was doing. It was happening. I wasn't coming home at night 
I was never unfaithful to Sonya, but I, I would do some drugs, go to the casino, and just had in my mind that that was fun. Lost about, just about lost everything. Like you said, was, was coming yeah. So, Ronnie, did you, did you did you ever think that after all of that, uh, God would be done with you? That He would say, you know what? <laughs> you know, you kind of just ran it out to the end. Yeah. Um, I never thought God gave up on me. I actually knew better because of my upbringing. But the problem was, I had quit on. God didn't quit on me. I walked away from him. And uh, he didn't, didn't let me go. He just kept coming out. It's kind of like that song, right? Never going to let you go. Yeah, yeah, that song we sang. He kept coming after me. And uh, when I was just about to lose it all, uh, Sonia said to me, you need to get some help. And I said, I don't need any help. I can continue to go on pretending like I'm a good Christian, fool everybody around me, and worse yet, fool myself the whole time. And so I ended up down at House of Luke, which is a men's discipling program, but it's also for rehabilitation. It's for drug addiction. It's for all the kinds of addictions that, that there are. So it's a residential, it's a residential program? residential home that uh, okay. men go there to trying to get their life back in, in order. And, uh, faith-based? Faith-based, very faith-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great program. Hmm. And uh, as I sat out there in their backyard examining myself and realized I had put myself on the shelf, but all I really wanted was to make sure that I didn't lose Sonia. So once again, I was pretending. I was going through the motions so that I could convince her that I was okay. So yeah, let me chase that down a second, Ronnie, because you, your family and you have been in our church family for 20 years, yep. right? right. So, so Sunday after Sunday, year after year, you are sitting here where our friends are sitting right now. Yep. And what was that? Was that a... Were you... Just putting it on for us, or there's a, uh, the phrase is called a Sunday morning Christian, and I don't think that I was the only one doing that. Um, it's where you come to church, you worship the Lord, you hear the message, you go away feeling good, and then that afternoon uh, you're out at Kolya gambling and carrying on, and Monday through Saturday you're not being who you're supposed to be, and you can't hide that from God. You can fool people around you all day long. So right. what's at the heart of that? Is it, is it pride? Is it embarrassment? Is it uh, I want them to think one thing of me, a, a, yeah. a good thing of me? Or? I'm going to show up here and make sure that they all think that I'm a pretty good guy. But then I'm going to take my selfish self down the road, mm. and I'm going to do what I want to do, and uh, hopefully none of them will see all that, but God does. Always, I didn't, yeah. I didn't fool him for a minute. <laughs> he's, uh, he's always there. He's always watching. You don't get to get away with anything with God. And when you're running hard in the wrong direction, 
right behind you. He's just coming after you. He's not going to let you go. And, uh, so, so, Ronnie, all of those years brings you to the place where you're about to lose it all, yeah. including your bride. Including the one I love. And, and, uh, and, oh, I remember many dark, painful dark days. dark days walking with Sonia. And we didn't know where you were. Right. And, and so you, you get to this place where House of Luke enters your story. Right. And I am in their backyard, and I'm reading the Word. And uh, I get a visit from a guy close to me right now. <laughs> and uh, Tim comes and gives me a challenge. He said, Ronnie, God has you here for a reason. There's work that he wants to get done. I challenge you to stay the course. Do not leave. You were close to leaving. I was close to leaving. Two two afternoons earlier, I had my bags packed, and I was like, I'm done with this. It's not going anywhere. It's not working for me. And Tim showed up and encouraged me to stay the course, mm. that God wasn't done with me yet, and that he would complete the work that he had started if I would allow that. Mm. And so I kept out in that backyard reading my word and reading my word and I was stubborn. It took me four months and in the morning of an argument with some other brothers at the house um, I was standing my ground I was not going to lose this argument no matter what. And all of a sudden God said, hey Ronnie you're going to lose this one because it's time for you to repent. And I got on my knees in that living room and I flushed it out. And I cried out to God and I said, I give it all to you. I surrender. I repent. There are so many things that I don't even remember to repent for. But I give it all to you, Lord. If you can just take this mess and fix it, please forgive me for the way I've been acting and for not being a true Christian. And the Holy Spirit came into that house, came into that room, and just consumed my heart. God said, we're going to take that rock out of there, and we're going to put something in here that I can work with. And that's exactly what he did. And on that day, I realized what being a Christian was, and that all the times I had said, oh, yeah, I, I go forward. Okay, yeah, I accept the Lord. It was all showtime. But this particular day, it was God time. It was the real deal? It was for real. And that is the day that I truly became a Christian. Brokenness, repentance, Brokenness, owning your sin, owning it. and and realizing Jesus did something transformational. He took these great big chains of bondage and sin that were wrapped around my ankles, my arms. I mean, I was a walking chain, you might say. And Jesus breaks those chains. Yeah. And it God gives you a chance to cut your chains, take it. Don't waste time. Put your hands out there, put your feet out there, and say, please cut them, Lord, because I want to follow you. And the addiction to the gambling, to the speed, all those things, God has taken away. Praise, right now, Praise the Lord. You, I used to count the days. And uh, it's been a year and eight months now that 
So the difference between the old Ronnie and the new Ronnie is that the new Ronnie is in Jesus Christ. I don't no longer just know about Christ. I live my life for Christ. My life is Christ. I'm consumed by Christ. And have I said enough about Jesus? Jesus is the key to your struggles. I don't care what they are. There's a lot of other struggles outside of of um, drug addiction, gambling addiction. It goes on and on and on. We all know what the list is. Sure. So if you fall somewhere on that list, God has a better plan for you, but you're going to have to give it to him. You're going to have to submit it to him and let him let Him work it out because God already knew what I was made up of before I tried uh, to, to run and, and fool him and fool anybody. I think he was sitting on the throne chuckling and saying, I know who you really are, and your time's coming, buddy. <laughs> he, he, came, he came and found me when I was, yeah. when I was on the run. Well, I, I know that uh, behind some of this journey, Ronnie, is, is an amazing lady who never stopped praying for you. True. Uh, a pastor uh, who didn't stop praying. Yeah. And a church family. Church family. All of you guys... Annette came to me after the first service and she said, did you know a boatload of prayers went up for you? And I said, yes, I do. A boatload the size of Noah's Ark. <laughs> and Sonia, I love you, honey. That, that's my first Peter 3 woman right there. And it says that through the conduct of a wife, she can win her husband to Christ without ever saying, Sonia never, ever told me, if you don't do this, we're done. Uh, None of that. Always was just supportive and said, I'm here for you, honey, but there's, you're doing some things that you shouldn't be doing. And it was all true and all correct. And uh, it's amazing that you're still by my side. That's resilience in motion. I thank you, Jim, for the challenge. And I thank you for IBC for for seeing that there was more more to Ronnie than, than he was being and uh, for praying for me. Well, you know, one of the ways the Lord has uh, gifted you, Ronnie, and this just comes as such a, a, a an amazing thing to me. Because when I look at you, I see this street, tough, big, burly guy, and I don't automatically think poetry when I think of Ronnie, when I think of that. But... Poetry has become this amazing way for you to pour out your heart to your Heavenly Father and praise Him for the transformation in your life. So I've asked you to share just a couple of literally hundreds of poems that you have written now since since you're the day in the backyard with, with the Lord. Would you share a couple of those with us? I certainly will. I'd be happy to. Get brand new one this morning after second service, but uh, we're going to go back to the one me and Tim talked about, talked about in his office. But uh, 
This first one is called a new man. I am a new man in Christ. I will not go back. So let me tell you about how I keep on track. I get into my word and I thank God every day for his work on the cross and the price he paid. He died on that cross for a sinner like me. No greater act of love will there ever be. But better yet, on the third day, he rose again. Satan was defeated. Jesus triumphs over sin. His word says he has gone to prepare a place. And just the thought of that puts a smile on my face. The next thing I have learned is to listen to the Holy Spirit. If he doesn't clear it, I don't go anywhere near it. <laughs> I don't visit old places that would cause me to fall. Now it brings me great joy to answer God's call. I'll tell you another thing that I am thankful for. The godly wife that God gave me to adore. No one said it's easy, but it can be done. Keep your focus on God and you follow his son. Yeah, yeah. So Tim called me one afternoon and asked me if if I would like to do this. I said, I would love to do this. And uh, so I got off the phone and he said, why don't you see, write something about a new creation? So I said, okay, I can do that. I was off the phone for, what, 30 seconds? <laughs> Went in the, the other room and started writing. So you might ask me, am I a new creation in Christ? I would not hesitate. I would not have to think twice. I was in bondage to a whole bunch of bad sins. I would tell you I was a Christian and not be for real. My life was spiraling. I was going downhill. Then I called out to the Lord to tell him I was through. He opened his arms and said, I've been waiting for you. The things of the past have all passed away. And now all things have become new every single day. I love the Lord. It is not something I will hide. At the start of every day, he is right by my side. I can tell you for sure, God can fix a wreck. Because when I look back at my life, I say, what the heck? <laughs> God took a bunch of junk and he made it brand new. And the bondage I was in could be just like you. The old will pass away and the new will soon come. And your life will be awesome if you follow God's son. If you follow God's son. If you follow God's son, yes, yes. Church family, would you join Ronnie and me in reading off of the screen, out loud together, 2 Corinthians 5.17, as our expression of praise to a God who transforms lives. Let's do it together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amen, amen. and amen. Stand with me as I pray. And Lord, what a what a a gift you have given us today, both from your word and through our brother, Ronnie. A living example of what it means to be transformed through faith in Jesus Christ. 
It's been an amazing journey. It's been hard at times, really hard. But you have been faithful. You have never not been faithful. And Ronnie is a living witness and testimony to the fact that you love to transform lives. You've done it in his life and you've done it in ours as well. Lord, you can do it right now in the life of one who, when they walked into this room, they didn't know how much you love them. Maybe they do now know that you could transform their life too. May they not leave today without giving their life to you in simple saving faith and trusting you to do the rest. Lord, I pray for my brother. The enemy will certainly continue to pursue Ronnie. I ask you to watch over him, protect him in the unseen realm from from that schemer who would love to take him back to drugs and gambling. I pray you would defend him in that unseen place. Lord, you have already won the victory. Ronnie's given you glory. May you be pleased to unleash many more poems that would give honor to you and bless us. We love you, Lord. Truly, we love you, but only because you loved us first. first. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.